Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. You know, we don't often think of dating and relating as a skill set, right? Like we don't think about it as being something that we can learn and develop. We sort of often, till, till we don't, till we realize, we assume that people are just born with these skills or they got lucky. But no, they're learned and we can all learn them. And I, you know, one thing that I find with dating that I see so regularly is people don't actually learn the skill set to date from a really uh, mindful place, an intentional place. You know, they're just sort of like, when I say, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for this, this, and, you know, I'm looking for, you know, find someone to have a family with. But, you know, like, that's only if I find the right person. It's like, well, are you planning on not finding the right person? Like, we already qualify and set the bar lower so that we try, what we're trying to do is save ourselves from disappointment. But what we're doing is actually not standing in the truth of what we want. We're not, you know, we're, we're kind of saying it, but not fully committing to it. And then what happens is we make choices that dance in the gray. We align what we want to what other people want. Oh, you don't want a relationship? Neither do I, because we'll take any connection rather than the connection we're actually looking for. So we'll like take the scraps, we take the breadcrumbs and we set low standards because we don't believe we're worthy of more. And I'm here to tell you that's bullshit. You are worthy of all of it. But you got to make choices that align with what you say you want. You've got to show up for yourself. You've got to be courageous. You've got you've to wait. As I, I was listening to a podcast episode from my friend Jen Pasteloff just launched a new podcast and she was interviewing Elizabeth Gilbert. And on it, Elizabeth Gilbert said, you know, my sponsor would always say to me, keep making different decisions till better comes along. And that's what dating is really about is it's this opportunity to heal. It's this opportunity to have your stuff come forward. You know, because I've said this before, we like have our poop in a group. We got our shit together when we're single and we're like reading the books and doing the thing and we start dating. And we're like, shit, what the fuck happened here? I don't know what's going on. Oh, man, all my shits. I thought I healed that shit. It's not right. And so I think this is when we can start to see that relationships are a learning opportunity and dating in and of itself is an opportunity to practice setting boundaries, to um, practice communicating in different ways, to look where you take things personally, look where you have exaggerated responses to things, to look for ways in which we can better ourselves. And that's what life's all about. So I wanted someone to come on who's a... I was going to say master dater, but that just sounds, <laughs> you know, that just sounds weird. Uh, but yeah, I wanted someone to come on who could talk and walk us through the dating process and what it looks like and, you know, how to, you know, and, and also our biases in dating. And so we're going to go into all of that. So I'm so excited for today's episode. And, and also, before we begin with that, Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. Also, give it a five-star review and a written review. That is so helpful for me. I hope you're all having the most beautiful day. As I'm sure you're aware of, I do not work with a ton of brands. And the reason I don't is because if I'm going to bring it into your life, into your ear, into all the things, I have to be willing to bring it into mine. And I only want to partner with brands that have high levels of integrity, high levels of quality. And that's why I'm so pumped up to have found Organifi. You know, I had Drew Canoli, 
founder on the podcast. You should check out that episode. It's so great. You can learn a little bit more about him and his story and why he founded it. And if you don't know what Organifi is, it's a line of organic superfood blends that they they offer plant-based nutrition. And it's made with high-quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. And so the green juice, which let's be honest, I don't know if you've ever had a green juice, but it usually tastes like lawnmower cuttings mixed with water. It's gross. It's actually super delicious. I have it every morning. It's just such a great way to start the day. They also have Organifi Gold, which is a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each is easy to use. You just mix it with water or your favorite beverage while you're going, while you're out and about, and they do not compromise quality for taste. It's delicious. So they take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. So all you got to do is go to Organifi.com slash create the love and use the code create the love and you get 20% off your order. And right now you get free shipping. And that's just specific to Create the Lovers. So once again, you go to Organifi.com slash Create the Love and the code Create the Love gets you 20% off any item and free shipping. I can't wait for you to try it out. And without further ado, here is Demona Hoffman. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you Demona Hoffman, who is a dating coach, a TV personality. I mean, you've been on all the net- networks, you know? So welcome. Thank you I for being here. I made the rounds. Here. Yes, I made the rounds. But this is special. I'm excited to be here with you. I mean, you were the subject of an Oprah O Magazine cover. What was that about? I got the opportunity to coach one of their editors for uh, about four to six weeks. And she was like, well, let me see what you could do. And then I'll write about it. And um, I did some things. I guess you'll have to read it to see what the result was. But it did involve a guy that she referred to as hunkamania. (laughs) Hunkamania. So was he like a jacked hunky dude? Or he was just so hunky that he was hunkamania? She said he was hotter than any guy that she had met online before. You know, I think there's this um this feeling with dating apps that it's 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 like the bottom of the barrel. That's the last thing you do if you haven't met anyone through alternative yeah, yeah, resources. Yeah. Go right? to the last ditch effort. The tumbleweed is blowing across your romantic <laughs> You're life. Like, Oh, I guess I'll just do a dating app. Yeah. And so she was pleasantly surprised that there actually are quality people that you would want to meet. And it was also a different experience for her because there's a lot of people out there that are using dating apps, but they're not using it the right way. And so they're disappointed or frustrated with the results. And they're like, you know, look at all these fools coming in my inbox, trying to match with me. And she met somebody that she actually (laughs) found very attractive and was interested in. There was mutual interest. Now I'm telling you the whole story, Mark. I've just told you the whole story. Yeah, no I don't even have to read it now. Perfect. I was going to Google it after, <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, I don't have to. Wait a... You got the cliff notes. Yeah, now we know. Success. <laughs> so, okay. So you were saying that people don't use them properly. I'm curious as to, because uh, I'm sure for people listening, they're like, oh, wait, you can use them properly? Because you know, when I talk about dating apps, I'm 
I'm like, listen, if you think that your Tinder has a virus because you get all the unavailable people, it has nothing to do with Tinder and everything to do with what you code as a red flag and what you code as a green flag, you know? And, mm. and so I think dating in general is an amazing healing opportunity and a, an amazing growing opportunity. You can build self-worth just by what you say yes and no to, which is, that's so simple. There's, these are like low risk conversations, you know, you're protected by an inbox, you know, which is pretty simple, which makes some people total a-holes and makes other people, you know, maybe more vulnerable than they would have been in a, in a face-to-face conversation. So how do we use them properly? I, I like the way you phrase that because it really does amplify whatever else is already going on. And I often talk to my clients about how the lessons will show up for you in your dating mm. life. And I'll ask them if you're having this situation where you can't speak your truth or you can't really voice how you're feeling to your dates, how is that showing up elsewhere in your life at work with your family in other places? So it is it is a learning opportunity. Thank you for phrasing it that way. But I, I, I hear of a lot of there are a lot of patterns that people will share with me when they have tried dating apps and they're unsuccessful with them. I'll, I'll say, well, how long were you on the dating app? And they'd say, well, I, I, I downloaded Match or Hinge or Bumble, insert name of dating app here. I swiped for a few weeks, didn't really like it for various reasons, either didn't see anyone I liked, didn't move offline with anyone, didn't like the way it functioned, got overwhelmed, and I signed off. To me, that is not an effective amount of time to really see results from dating apps. I think you need to really give it, I I say, like my dating coaching program is three months. If you date with intention for three months, your life will change. And 90% of the people in my one-on-one program left in three months in an exclusive relationship. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that because those are people that came to me with absolute clarity and that that coupled that clarity with action and got the result. But a lot of times people will say to me, well, I tried online dating, it didn't work. But what they were doing was putting half-assed attention on it, but then expecting the app to do all of the work for them. <laughs> but you Wait, it doesn't? Back, you put, no. Wait, no, and oh. it's ac- exactly what you were saying earlier, Mark. Like you are programming the app to deliver more of what you tell it that you want. So yeah, if you keep swiping right on unavailable dudes or girls in bikini shots, and then you wonder why you keep dating unavailable guys and women that are not challenging you intellectually, you have to look at how you have programmed the app to deliver more of what you don't want. Well, and I think, of course, the person listening is like, wait, I have a bikini picture in my Tinder profile. And I'm like, yeah, this is because this is an interesting debate that I've heard on my Instagram because I've created the debate, um, not on purpose, but because I'm like, okay, people aren't more materialistic now than they've ever been. It's just that superficiality has been magnified by these apps. Like we've always been superficial. You're walking down the street, you go into Starbucks back when you were allowed to go into places and socialize. And you like walk down the street and you are literally swiping left and right with people in your mind anyways. So 
this is done that in a much more available, obviously very tangible because it's literally an action. You're not like, you know, walking down the street, pushing someone into the street and another one into the bushes, you know, <laughs> but you could, I mean, you could, I don't think you'll get a jail, date but... from it. Yeah. <laughs> but what I think it shows is like, I remember reading research from Facebook and Instagram that if, and also if someone went into your college dorm or looked at your Facebook profile, but we can extrapolate that to any profile. Um, and that's a fair research base. To I think we can do that. And you can judge with a high level of accuracy someone's values based on what you see in their college dorm room and also what you see on their Facebook slash Instagram. And, and automatically I hear like, well, that's very judgmental. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not the one who created that research. I, it doesn't matter. But it tells us a truth that we're not comfortable with, which is that we do put people in boxes. And sometimes that's bad because we don't give opportunities to people that we judge. And we have unconscious biases that we're not even familiar with. And we'll get into more of that. But also it it is a way of shortcutting our decisions. So that's why we in a crowd's running away from something, even if we can't see it, we run with them generally. You know, it's the same sort of idea. And so if you want your profile to communicate a certain message about you, it is important, just like we were talking about our backdrops in where we're recording this audio, none of you will know, but <laughs> our houses are immaculate behind us right now. <laughs> but, you know, it's like a don't similar thing. Don't yeah, don't tell them, don't tell them. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? It's a similar thing as like, as you were saying, you have to curate what um, uh, preconceived notions people might have. Well, it's probably worth sharing my own story of how I came into doing this. I started out as a casting director oh. in television. Yes, yes. So the, the, the judgmentaliest of the judgment. Uh, <laughs> um, no. So but this I is all, uh, <laughs> this is all you reconciling that evil, evil work. No, and I actually believe uh, for anyone listening that is an actor or is in entertainment or thinking about it, I actually think casting directors, they want you to succeed. They're painted in a negative light, but they're great people. But what I learned from <laughs> casting, <laughs> I just have to say that, yeah. what I learned from casting was like, you have to thin slice. You have to, you have to be swiping left and right on people in your mind the entire time because there are so many people that want to break into the, into the industry. There were so many people that wanted to be on CBS that I can't, I cannot see everybody. I cannot have mm -hmm. everybody read for every part. I cannot give every part to every person. And so while I was working there, I started teaching classes for actors in marketing and how to brand themselves and have headshots that really told their story and stood out as I'm sorting through hundreds of headshots. What makes your picture unique? Why would I want to stop and say, this is somebody that I need to call in? And at the same time, I was online dating and realized the similarities between what I was telling actors and what I needed to do to get noticed by the kind of men that I wanted to meet online. So once I applied those techniques, which really are personal branding and marketing, once I applied those techniques that I would teach my actors about their headshots to my profile photos, I ended up meeting my husband online. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. And then other people would come to me and say, well, I tried online dating. It didn't really work. And I'd look at their profiles, do the same thing, and then get the same result from them. For them, they would call me and say, I met someone, I'm getting married, I'm having a baby. And I started to realize 
this was, it, it's just what you said. It's the same technique. It's the same idea. I just started applying it to dating. Mm-hmm. And that was really what got me interested in, in becoming a dating coach. And then seeing how I could support people through the entire process, not just the matching and showing up on the date. But then, as you know, there's so much more to developing a relationship and helping people navigate those roadblocks down the road. So when someone is thinking like, oh, what are the best possible pictures that I could have on my dating profile? I mean, this is probably attributable to uh, LinkedIn as well, or any place where you're trying to quote unquote, sell yourself, you know, in some way. Um, And so, you know, you're presenting your best self to some extent, you know, it's like, I have a friend who put up a picture of him hiking. I'm like, you don't fucking hike at least like, (laughs) you know, he's like, yeah, but chicks like dudes who hike. And I'm like, yeah, but then they're going to find out that you don't like hiking and you're going to misrepresent yourself. And he's like, God, man, okay, I'll take it down. You know, because I was just like, (laughs) find someone who actually wants what you want and who you, you know, likes who you actually are. True. Um, But don't show a picture of your like messy bathroom. Maybe don't do that. Oh my gosh. I was swiping for a client last week and I I couldn't even believe how many shirtless bathroom selfies. Uh, Get a friend. Get a friend. Photo in the car. I don't understand. Can you explain the dashboard photo to me? Oh, which one is it of their hand on the steering wheel? No, no. Just them sitting in the car, but like in different outfits from different angles. And I, I don't understand. Is it like they're putting it on the dashboard and then like propping it up? They're like, I don't know. Get a friend. Like what it's like to ride with me. (laughs) You're my ride or die. If they had that in the line, at least it'd be kind of cool. But instead you're like, you don't even have enough friends to take your pictures. So you take a selfie in a mirror and you have a phone prop that you use to get directions from Google that also takes pictures for your dating profile. Like these are all you know what? You really don't need to read the Oprah Mag article because I even said that she had a bathroom, bath, not a bathroom, but she had a mirror selfie in the elevator. And she was like, I think I look cute. And I was like, I think you look like you don't have anyone to take a photo of you. Right. So let's cut that one out. But it's actually pretty simple. We, we do think of it from a perspective of storytelling, but we also think of it from a perspective of psychology and the way that the other person the casting director of the love story of your life is going to be swiping through photos. So I tell people to use the three C's. Really simple. Color, context, character. Color, that's the psychology. When someone sees an interesting color, particularly like for women, I have them use the color red because men respond to the color red differently than they do other colors. Mm, It's got to be due to arousal. Yeah, something like that. It's biological. Yeah. We we could try to escape our biology. Lips, all the things. All the things. So red stop signs. So all we're trying to do with your primary photo, get someone to stop and look at your other pictures. Look at the rest of your profile. So color, context, telling your story through your photos. As you said, your friend that had the hiking photo, great great context, but sounds like for the wrong story. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Like you're not going to meet her there, buddy. Right. Right. So truth and advertising always, but yes, telling your story through your photos because, and I've been doing this 17 years, Mark. So I've seen the evolution of the dating apps and then ultimately the swipe apps and then now COVID, which we can talk about if we have time later and how that shifted the dating process. But I've seen that people as as the 
as Instagram became more popular and social media shortened our attention spans, I really saw the difference in dating profiles. It used to be, oh, I want to know a lot about this person. I want to have a lot of fields I can search and boxes I can check. And now it's just like, I want to create a profile in 32 seconds and be able to read through and swipe through without having to think too much. So the profile went from, you know, three to five paragraphs to like three paragraphs to now two sentences is basically what the is average. Like we're tweeting. We're tweeting our we're way tweeting, into romance. Yeah. They were like, can I just yeah. do emojis and, and they ha- tell my story through emojis? I'm like, sure, fine, whatever. Because these, these photos, but I've said this from the beginning, that these photos are the most important part of your profile. They're going yeah. to tell your story. And then character is the one that most people miss. And that's showing your personality. And people think, I should have the bikini shot. I should have the glamour shots. I should I should look hot and sexy in all of these photos. But really, really, the apps, what the apps report, and I work with a lot of the, the different dating apps, Match and OkCupid, and what they say is that it's the people that have more specificity, that are more polarizing. Like you have a Comic-Con photo, some chicks are going to run run away as fast as they can. <laughs> yeah. But there are, I've had clients who are like, oh, I love Comic-Con. I love, I love a guy up. in a Batman outfit. <laughs> in a free hug shirt. <laughs> Comic, co- little Comic-Con humor for you. I used to work at the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, so, <laughs> so when you have that specificity, that's the difference between just a right swipe and someone actually mm-hmm. taking action and, and saying like, yeah, oh, you are my kind of gal. Let's talk. Which you is like ultimately tacos. What and I mean, who doesn't like tacos? That's actually a red flag. But that's a whole <laughs> other story. But, you know, it's like I, I get what you're saying, because to one person, Comic-Con, amazing. I can't believe there's someone else who nerds out on Star Trek or Pokemon or whatever, all those things. Um, clearly, I'm not going to swipe for some Comic-Con. Although, actually, I can't say that to be true because I do like the eclectic sort of passion for, it doesn't have to be my passion, but that someone wears it on their sleeve, you know, in a sense that they're proud of it. Right, and that they're not so curated in their images. Because yeah, they're I fun. It's too polished. I'm like, what is this person hiding? Who are they really? When you yeah. have even even just like sense of humor, a lot of times I'll have my clients put a Halloween costume photo that shows their sense of humor, their sensibility, what they're into. And it shows that they aren't taking themselves so seriously. That they, Unless they're like a sexy tomato or something, you know, where you're like, you don't I have to make like them right on a sexy tomato. Are you kidding me? I don't like nightshades, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's <laughs> so sexy potato also out. That's, I'm Irish. I could do a potato. Sexy That's potato. fine. But yeah, you know, I think for sure, like showing that you will be on the edge, that you like having fun, that you are joyous to be around. Because who's swiping right to some ominous? I mean, maybe there are people who are like, that person's so dark. I can't wait to get to know them. Which makes me think of another no-no on dating profile photos sunglasses. I, again, I was swiping for a client and, and she was like, I don't understand this guy. All of his photos have sunglasses or a big hat. And I can't even tell what he looks like. (laughs) And to me now, because I like to analyze 
what's going on. I think we tend to lead with the thing that we think is most attractive. So that's, that's my problem with the bikini shot photos. If it's like all bikini shots is that you think that's your best asset. You think that that is more important than your sense of humor, your intelligence, your Your heart, your your... heart, your, yeah, all of that. That's more important. Okay. And, and you lead with that. If he's have, if he's covered up in all of his photos, to me, that says, how does he feel about himself? Does he feel like he looks better when he's covered up? (laughs) Is he he hiding something? Like I start going, I would say that like, I think sunglasses, I'm like walls, like, you know, that saying that eyes are the windows to the soul. I think I've heard it. I didn't make it up. Don't put my name beside that. It is good though. But I, I think you're exactly right. Like what's he hiding And there? And it could just be a fear of closeness, a fear of intimacy, you know? So it's protective behind sunglasses. Why right. do so many celebrities wear sunglasses all the time? Hmm. I want you to recognize them. <laughs> so obvious though. What is this? You know, like they put a hat on and you're like, Hey, you're still the same guy with a hat. Like, <laughs> we can see you. <laughs> Yeah, I think, well, we could get into a whole conversation about celebrities, but, but yeah, it, I think it does indicate, uh, there, there's context, mm-hmm. subtext, I guess, to be, to be read from dating profiles. So I'm all about getting people to their most authentic place. And I know you're the same, uh, really stripping away those layers. And for me, the other part of my story is I am the daughter of a, black woman who grew up, grew up in the projects in Detroit, a Jewish man who, who grew up in Chicago in an area that had no other Jewish people. And they made this unicorn that, that in some respects fit in nowhere and everywhere at the same time. But I really struggled growing up in the Midwest. Like I was never the girl that I didn't have boyfriends in, in high school. Nobody asked, I asked my prom dates, both my junior and senior prom dates, I asked them out. And uh, that was, it It was really a struggle for me looking at this idealized form of beauty, this, you know, thin Caucasian <laughs> ideal that was the only thing that I saw growing up. Like, well, you must not be attractive because that's what you're supposed to look like. And it really took me a long time to peel away those layers and not try and fit into someone else's beauty ideals to feel comfortable in my own skin, to feel beautiful. And then once I was able to do that and do a lot of coaching work to strip away those layers, I was able to meet my life partner. But I really feel like it's a little bit strategy, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of mindset and a lot of clearing away the emotional clutter to be available for that. When how do you even begin, you know, that journey, you know, of of the acknowledgement of, you know, we were mentioning earlier, the biases, right? Like you're in the Midwest, which I'm guessing, and I'm not from the US, but I think that insinuates white and sort of like middle-class white, you know, sort of, I guess, like Stepford Wives kind of, is that sort <laughs> of the... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I've, you know, the Midwest is obviously a big place and encompasses many. Yeah, there's people listening. They're like, that's not fucking true. But they'd have that weird Midwest accent, right? Like, that's not true, Johnny. I kind of, I kind of do. I can put it back on. Uh, But I grew up in, uh, 
a very white area, um, upper middle class. And there was no one that that looked like me. There was just no model for my existence, really. So uh, let alone my attractiveness <laughs> for for a date. So how did I do? It was honestly very gradual, Mark. And mm-hmm. it took a lot of a lot of self-work and a lot of the kind of work that you do on the show and and you know with your programs it it took me peeling away those layers it took me going like just going to to darker places to to really examine some of those belief systems and and how i had internalized them and embrace them in a way like what if that's just not true? Or what if that's no longer true? We get really attached to, especially like in dating and relationships, we get attached to an idea based on an experience we had. Well, I didn't have any dates in high school, so I must not be attractive enough to get dates. I have always dated men that broke my heart. This is not my story, but just stories that have been told to me. I've always Mm -hmm dated men who broke my heart. So men must all be dogs. I've Mm -hmm. only dated women who were after me because of my money. And therefore, and we start to tell ourselves these stories and then make choices based on what we want to complete stories, right? We want to get to that ending. So we start making decisions based on the story that we've been telling ourselves. And what I like to do is just step back and say, what if, what if it's not true? What if Mm -hmm. that is not that what if that is not true at all? How would you live your life differently? How would you approach dating or relationships differently if that was one situation, but not a part of your larger story? Mm, I love that, that idea of assessing what are some of the beliefs that you hold that are actually your upper limits, that are actually limiting you to keep you in a box of certainty and familiarity. And what happens if you just blew the box away? And, you know, you make, I remember listening to a talk from Francis Weller, and he said that when uh, there's a difference when something becomes part of your story and something becomes part of your narrative. Mm. And, and the difference being that one starts to internalize the beliefs about you and the world, and the other one actually helps you expand and see the world in a more integrated way, which the line between those two things is, is, is really uh awareness and processing. But if we weren't raised in community or families or whatever that that really embrace that and it's never been modeled, it's this new behavior that we're going to coaching or courses or books or whatever. It doesn't really matter through a podcast. But all of a sudden you have this window to that question that you just asked. What if it's not true? Mm-hmm. Ooh, then boom, everything is possible. And what if it was true then, but it's yeah. no longer true now? And Especially I I do this a lot when I'm working with particularly women of color and there's studies that will say like OkCupid, uh, they published their data from years and years ago. Mm -hmm. And in it, they found that black women sent the highest number of outgoing messages on OkCupid and received the fewest responses. And the same was true for Asian men. And we read these stats and then we think, well, yes, that that's been my experience. And that, that confirms that bias for us. And 
I have worked with women of all colors, of all shapes and sizes, of all ages, and consistently, whatever that belief is, that chip on their shoulder, that belief about the world or about themselves or about their dateability, when I flip it on its ear and couple a new way of thinking with a new way of operating, they meet a match. And it's just happened Mm. so many times that I'm like, I can, I just can't believe the story anymore. And the more that we repeat the story and the more that we, we live by the story, the more that it does become the narrative, like you said. So one thing I've discovered is that also some of this is a U.S. problem. I can't really speak to Canada. You know, I don't I'll throw us in there. We'll get yeah. in the mix. Okay, it's, you know? a, it's a North American problem. Yeah. And I've worked with Black women who dated in Europe and were revered, were the most beautiful, were, weren't able to keep up with the number of dates they had. And they, it, it's, it creates such, mm. such dissonance when your whole life you you have been treated like you're you're unattractive and you're undateable and then you go somewhere and it's almost like i feel like there's like a rom-com where this happens where like you know the ugly duckling and then you're they're like what i'm the swan but see what that does to your psyche when you interact with people differently and you you see that they are perceiving you in a different way it just it just opens you up completely and helps you see that the story that you had been told or the story that you lived before doesn't have to be in the now if you don't want it to be. Mm. And, and like, I'm not, it, like sorry, negating, go on. I'm not negating racism in America. I It's deeply seated. And we are all grappling really uh, globally. We are grappling with how to redefine our relationship to race but it it starts with with small decisions it starts with loving people outside of our small circle and widening the circle a little bit and it begins with conversations with like this one exposing ourselves to different points of view different ways of being and you know i i think it's important to note that often the beliefs that we have come from valid experiences can come from trauma and so they serve a purpose because they become protective, but they also, um, if not acknowledged and being aware of them, then they also become the wall and sort of the the prison that we can live in, you know, which again, protective, but also if garnered and honored, they can protect us and release us in another way, you know, sort of like jet us forward. And I think that's the beautiful and complex dance between um, pain that teaches us and pain that holds us. You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And there's also, we are neurologically, we are wired to move away from things that we don't know as well. So, so you're talking about the the pain and the pain that comes from experiences that are traumatic and how that, that roots us in one path. But Mm -hmm. then there's also the unknown path. And how we are predisposed to move away from that. And as we become more exposed, like you were saying, we, we, we widen our community. We experience people of different backgrounds. We have these conversations. The more 
interactions we have, the less scary it becomes to us. And the more that we seek out, you know, the attraction bias, we seek out things that are similar. We seek Mm -hmm. out like, and we are, we are wired to move away from things that are dislike us. But if we expose ourselves more romantically or just in the conversations we're having, the worlds that we're moving in, when we have more exposure, then we can normalize that for ourselves and really, really grow our boundaries. Yeah, to think of all the unconscious biases we have because of all the media we consume, the movies we consume. You know, I think about the romantic stories that are told. I've been listening to two series from this podcast called Seen on Radio. And in the first uh, one, it was the history of race. And that was so fascinating. And then I'm now on the history of masculinity and amazing how much they overlay, like the creation of race as a construct and then um, how gender was, you know, the gender constructs. And I was just recently listening, and it's so fitting to our conversation, to an episode that was about how Asian men have been, because you mentioned that, have been never cast in a leading role as a romantic lead. And, uh, you know, they talk about how like Bruce Lee was really starting to step into superstardom and make Asian men like they were put in roles where they were sexy with their abs and all the things. And then he passed away, I think, 32 years old. And this recent movie, Crazy Rich Asians, and the man who was talking about it is an Asian guy. And he was saying, like, this was such a moment for Asian men where we were like, finally, you know, and, and to other people, they're like, what's the big deal? And that was by design. I have a friend that that works in marketing at Warner Brothers. And he said to me, actually, before the release of Crazy Rich Asians, he was like, we are intentionally trying to sexualize the Asian man so that we can see if we're able to make an impact to shift the narrative. And I think they were successful. I, I Like you said, For I sure. think they were successful at that. But it it representation matters and it does it did sort of require a it required somebody to have that idea and to take a decisive action i think on its own we would keep with the momentum of the status quo but it did take someone saying like we need a picture we need to get on that on that billboard we need henry golding taking his shirt off and <laughs> and you know showing with coconut that, oil right um, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, grease them up, grease them up. But <laughs> <laughs> it it was it it was successful, and I think you know we're seeing this happen more also now as the Black Lives Matter conversation has gained more momentum. We are seeing we are seeing people willing to examine their beliefs on race, and it's tough. Like I I wrote this article for the Washington Post that. Uh, went viral in a way that I almost was not comfortable (laughs) because people were really, really triggered by being asked to examine their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it started out, of course, in a place that catch people's attention. Is it racial bias or dating preference? Because for so long, we have hidden behind this, like, well, I just, I'm just attracted to Asian girls. That's just, that's just who I date. And what I do with my clients is I unpack that and I say, well, why? Like, what does that mean to you? If you say you will only date someone who's white, what does that mean? Why? Where does that come from? And a lot of times as we unpeel that onion, we find 
that it is what you were saying. It is media. It is the fairy tales we read. It is the rom-coms we watch. It It, it is the, the, the community that we grew up in. And we have to be willing in this moment to challenge our own beliefs and look at where they come from. And I, I'm going to check out that series that, that you were talking about because some of it is so deeply ingrained that we don't even realize that it's there. We don't mm-hmm. even realize, and we don't even realize that we're doing it. Like I, I read something about the average amount of time someone spends swiping. And I think it was one and a half seconds. It was a, a ridiculously short amount of time. Damn. That's like your thumb hitting and swiping. That's yeah. literally the amount of I, it used to be seven seconds. And then I read this article and I was like, well, I guess uh, everything has gotten faster in the last 10 years. But, <laughs> Hopefully not everything. But yeah, uh, here you go. Right. <laughs> but the act of swiping is really it's it's really a gut reaction a lot of times. And yeah. when we stop and say, well, what are we reacting to or what is that what does that even mean? When you've gone down all of your dating preferences in your dating app and you've checked you've checked white, Asian, Latino, and then you've left that other block box blank, what does that mean to you? Like, what would it mean to click that box? Mm. And is it really in alignment with who you believe yourself to be or the way that you want to move in the world? And what would happen if you, again, what would happen if it just wasn't true? All those things you thought about black men or black women or Asian men, what if they just weren't true? And you let that person show up as their own self with their own story to expand your world and possibly open up your heart. Yeah, well, I think when you let someone else expand the bias or the story that you have to prove it wrong, you get to step out of a story that you're living in too. You know, it's this mutual, because if we put other people in boxes, we stand in boxes ourselves, you know, and that we don't know that we're doing that, but that's, you know, often why we buy the clothes we buy and we, you know, do the things we do. And, you know, I I think about what you were saying in terms of um, biases in dating and just the awareness of why you select a box or when you next time you use Bumble or Tinder or Match or OkCupid or whatever you use, that you are mindful of what the instinct or the gut is saying to go left or right with, that you actually label the reason you're going left or right. And then you can call it forward as, is this bullshit? Is this a wall that doesn't allow me to connect to people? Or is this actually a valid recognition of something in their profile I dislike, or is it just uncomfortable, which is totally different than disliking something. You should start to love being uncomfortable when you choose it because it puts you in spaces where you're expanding. I mean, that's where miracles happen. And I think that's one of the things that's really exciting about dating. I mean, I've been with my partner for 17 years, but when you get to swipe for other people. I mean, that's, I swipe that's for other people. Yeah. True. Yeah, exactly. But when I swipe for them, we swipe in different ways because they're, I'm filtering based on what they told me they actually want and what I see reflected. And they're going based on initial attraction in a second and a half. But I, I loved when I 
once I got into the groove of dating, <laughs> it took me a little while, but once I got into it, I I love that awkwardness. I I came to me really too. embrace that feeling of like, I have no idea how this is going to go, but to be in, I love putting myself in spaces where I feel a little bit off kilter because I do feel like you grow in those moments. And it's just a date. And especially now, it's probably a video chat date or a social distance date. It's We don't have to put quite so much uh, pressure on an initial interaction. And when we do that, it kind of takes, it takes, it, it makes it a little less serious and a little bit more, it just... It, when we find the play, I think that's when we, we, we have the discovery and we can actually have fun with it. I hate it when people come to me and they're like, I hate dating. It's so awkward and frustrating. And I hate the process. And it doesn't leave me much room no. to help them grow. But if they come to me and they're like, you know, I want to get better at dating because I, I really feel like dating is a learned skill. Dating, flirting. It's 100% learned. Totally yeah, agree. it's a learned skill. And we've been watching too many rom-coms to think that it should just naturally happen. Wait, I, you're supposed to just meet people <laughs> and they get you. Isn't that what's supposed to happen? No, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a myth. It's a myth. But the but I find that that again, it's repeatable. I can teach someone how to be better at flirting. I can teach someone how to be a better conversationalist. I, I don't know if you've seen that show on Netflix. Um uh, love on the spectrum. Oh, so good. So good. Michael, and, Michael. Oh man. After my own heart. So good. And seeing that these people who really were not born with the capacity to understand interpersonal communication on the level that, that I understand it and, and you understand it, seeing how they can improve when they put their mind to it and learn the techniques is real. To me, that so was cool. so inspiring. And that's something that I try to bring into my podcast and my dating coaching to show people that like wherever you are right now, you're not stuck and you're never a finished person. I know you believe this too, Mark. You're never finished. There's no. always room to learn and to grow and I especially think at this time that we're at in history, we're really called to step up and to grow to the next level. And we can either we can either put the headphones on, <laughs> turn off the light and go back to sleep, or we can move forward into this discomfort together and see what beautiful things come out of it. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's the invitation that all relationships provide is, are you ready to step into the fullest, best version of you? You know, I don't date my partner because she makes me feel good all the time. I date her because she tells me the truth and the truth doesn't always feel good. But that way I'm getting an accurate mirror of how I'm experienced by the world. And to just have someone validate your own mask is, uh, it just perpetuates it rather than someone who says, hey, I noticed this. And you're like, "Ooh, I love you. Thank you for the <laughs> truth. And and it's a truth we usually know. And, you know, I was thinking about what you said uh, about people who say, I hate dating. And, you know, I really often think that comes from, well, one, how they define dating and two, that they don't trust themselves. Like they hate it because they don't trust themselves to be able to choose or be able to say no or be able to uh, recognize that red flag. And so they haven't learned and cultivated the skills that we're talking about. And, you know, so my heart always goes out to anyone who's in that state because 
somewhere along the lines, they learned a lack of self-trust. And that's why dating can be so healing. It can. And the other element that comes up a lot for me, for my clients, is time. All the time I hear, I don't want to waste time. Or I already, I had this with a client last week. She was like, I went on two dates. In a, in a week and a half, she went on two dates with two different guys. And then... It's a good week. That's, I think that's a great week. And ultimately, she didn't really feel a match, a spark with either of them. And she's like, oh, now I feel like I wasted all this time and I'm starting back over. Mm. And I was like, not at all. Do you see how much you learned from each of those experiences? And it says something to me that you didn't just have one date and it didn't work. You had two dates, which means that you had enough of a connection after the first date to be curious enough to get to the second. So you did, it means you did something right on the first date and you, and you showed up (laughs) and that you also were able to move it forward to the second date and that you were really staying present to see, is there a connection here or not? I think there's learning in all of these interactions we have, right? So I I was like, I think you're doing great. And I've, I'm like, and that gives me so much confidence that if we just keep at this, the the right one, and I don't believe in soulmates per se. I believe in a, a soulmate. I believe in many possible soulmates. So we just have to we just have to get the right one in the in the funnel, and then you've done all the work. It's not wasted time. You learned from those experiences, and now you can apply it when you're with the right person. It's all going to fall into place. Yeah. I- I mean, that's exactly it is, you know, I hear that perspective a lot too. Like I wasted my time and I'm like, you don't waste time if you learn something, but if you don't learn something, you'll waste time. Like if you don't actually pay attention to the lessons in the dates, why did you like them? Why didn't you? I mean, and not focusing on the win, you know, I always think like, shit, you just knocked one person off the list. Now you got 6.99999 billion more people to figure it out, you know, and that's, that's it. I think we forget that dating is actually sorting. And so, you know, I, I personally believe that one of the best skills you can learn in dating, relating, is how to say no to the wrong people faster, you know, as opposed to like staying in. It's not looking for a no, but it's not staying for a real week, maybe, you know, or like falling in love with potential. Um, potential can be a dangerous uh, edge. <laughs> yeah, we especially as ladies. <laughs> Yeah, we tend to fall into that that uh, bottomless pit of potential. We love having potential for you to think about, <laughs> and then never realizing it, just to validate your obsession with wine. Let me tell you, I I was definitely living in that space for a long time. But the the other thing about the wasting of time is that we do a lot of busy work in dating today, and particularly, I was concerned pre-COVID, Mark, I was concerned because the speed of dating was at such a pace that we could not, it was unsustainable. Mm-mm. And people were skipping steps. Like, again, I've been in this game for like for like uh, almost 17 years. So I I have had a system for a long time that works and helps you sort, like you said, and really helps you figure out if it's, if it's a match. And people were just skipping all the steps. It was like, we swipe right, we've matched, we chat a couple times, let's have a date, wait a minute, we don't have anything in common, or he ghosted me, or we just, we were at the, we just couldn't get it together. 
And then we were wasting so much time with days and days of messaging back and forth without it actually going anywhere, without mm. actually really getting to know someone. I firmly believe that you cannot get to know someone over chat or text. I want to know what no, you think about that. You can get to know like a bit about them, but I think it's weird that before people were meeting in person, they were just texting. And if someone called, they're like, whoa, red flag. And I'm like, green flag, go. Like yeah. you should listen to someone's voice because you can hear a lot more. You should see their face because you could definitely tell a lot more. But I'm like, it's only coded as a red flag because it's not normalized behavior. So because right. it's now outside of the norm, we're like, oh my God, he called me to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot go on a date with him now, even though you were about to go meet him in a public. Like, it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. And it was always part of my system to do a phone call before the date. And as phone calls sort of fell out of fashion, people would say to me, can I just skip this? Like, And I, I've really held to it. And I still have it as a part of either you do a video chat date, which has an has a whole different system that you have to set up, like we were saying at the beginning, to make sure that you're telling the story that you want to be telling pre-first date, because people are are making decisions very quickly and thin slicing. But even just doing the phone call, there is emotional vibration in someone's voice. Mm -hmm. And you can tell if it's worth moving to the next step, which would be, at this point, either a video chat date or a social distance date. But now with COVID, I feel like the video chat date and even to some extent the phone calls have been normalized again. And ultimately, that is a good thing that we are bringing back that sorting. I call it screening, but that that filtering process to figure out before you invest all of this time, don't, of course, you're exhausted with dating apps. You spent if you really added it up, you spent seven hours texting strangers last week. Of course you're exhausted. So if you can do a little bit of a better job in filtering, you can get to the more fun parts and the parts that have more discovery in them, which is ultimately having conversations like you and I are doing right now. Yeah, like actually getting on a video and getting to see each other. How has the, because, you know, as COVID sort of dove in, it did certainly change. You know, a lot of people are single or like, yeah, great for you guys in a relationship. Like you're just hanging out together. Although I'm sure people in relationships would be like, hey, y'all, we needed some space too. Well, um, yeah, divorce rates have gone up. And yeah, there've been a lot of, a lot of breakups in COVID when, but it, it's just amplifying everything. If yeah. you are not in the right relationship or you're not communicating effectively or you're not respecting your partner, then all of this time together will will definitely send you each running for the hills. But for me, it's been great because I feel like now that we are spending so much time together, my husband and I have really fine-tuned our communication and mm. I feel closer to my children <laughs> Sometimes I I want to yeah. move away from them, but <laughs> but I I've learned a lot about myself and about what I need in not having so much distraction or noise outside. But it amplifies whatever else is going on. And for a lot of my clients, they are single and they are 
in this place of wanting to find a match, but not knowing how to bring someone into your bubble. And it has complicated things in that way. But what it's caused us to do is slow down before we before we dive in and get to know someone face to face, we now have to go through the screening. And it sort of flipped the, (laughs) it sort of flipped the pace. It was like speed, 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 speed to the date. And then it was like super slow. I don't know. What is our relationship? (laughs) Where are we going? Right. And now it's like slow, 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 slow. We met, we're married. (laughs) Like (laughs) we are bubbled and it's happening and it's on. So I'm seeing a lot of that too. Uh, Once you've made the decision that this person matches you or or crosses that threshold of COVID safety or whatever you are looking for, then people now have been really quick to partner up in a very serious way very quickly. Well, at least they're discovering, or at least uh, based on what you're saying, you know, they're expressing boundaries around what they actually want. And maybe if that's what this is giving people is a greater desire to stand in the standards that they hold to actually like hold the bar of accountability to shared intentions to like, what are you looking for? What am I looking for? Um, And honoring like not matching your intention with the other person's just to get a match. Like that's the fastest way to self-abandonment. And I find so many people do that in the dating process is they say they match what the other person says so that they can have a match, which is not based on truth. It's based on, you know, being a chameleon. And then you don't feel loved and seen for who you are. And you're also disappointed when you finally tell the truth, you know, uh, with that of what you actually wanted. Yeah, that <laughs> that is a that's a tough thing to learn, I think, for a lot of people. Because, oh, it hurts a lot. Well, we also have been I think we've been conditioned to a quantity over quality model in dating for a while. Of everything, yeah. Of everything, but particularly in dating and particularly with dating apps. People get caught up in how many matches do I have? And to me, I'm like, that is not, that doesn't matter as much as what are the quality of matches that you're getting getting, and what are the quality of the conversations? What is the quality of the conversations that you're having? And how are they moving forward? towards what you want. And, you know, the the other thing, because I have been in this for a minute, (laughs) (laughs) the other thing that I've seen change is that what people want is shifting. And it used to be we had one model and it was predominantly heterosexual monogamous dating. And that is just not necessarily the, the, I guess it is certainly more popular. And most of my most of my clients are coming to me because they want a serious monogamous relationship with commitment. But there's a, a lot of people that listen to my podcast that are like, I don't want monogamy. That's not for me. And I'm like, great. If yeah. you figured that out and you can communicate that clearly to your partners, you go out and get what you want. And the great thing about dating apps and the dating landscape that we live in and the changing world that we live in is that you can have what you want now. <laughs> you can go after what you want. You can find your ideal match or matches from anywhere in the world. Mm. To me, that is major opportunity. And I know some people get caught up in the paradox of choice and they're like, but I don't know how to express this or this is too many options. I need to sign off. But if we just look at like, 
50 years ago, and especially from the point of view of a woman, you know, you said you were looking at that that series on masculinity. We didn't have a lot of choice, Mark. We couldn't choose who we wanted to partner with. We couldn't be looking for a 10-point list of (laughs) all of our (laughs) ideal qualities. It was just like, well, you live around the block from me and my parents know you and you're, you seem fine. And fine is just not good enough anymore. Mm, Amen, because that has certainly been a massive change. Uh, Not true of all parts of the world or all areas in different parts, which is, you know, we, it is such a privilege to choose one's partner, but it's also such a responsibility. And, you know, when, when you have the choice, it then, you know, you have to take that very seriously. You have to take that super seriously about, you know, if you're going to pick a partner, I remember reading a really funny uh, article that was from the domain, the website, waitbutwhy.com. Mm-hmm. So funny. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he breaks down all thoughts into being understandable for a five-year-old. <laughs> and one of them was about how to pick a partner and why it mattered. And one of them was like expressing how, if you get married at the average age that someone gets married and you stay with them forever, you will share 90,000 meals. And I forget, but all the numbers were so massive. And you just realized the level of responsibility, but also how many complexities there are to mate selection, to partner selection, and all the things you're talking about, all these unconscious biases and all these things that get in the way, these narratives, these stories. And and um, if we don't, become aware of them and what we actually want and then choose our way towards that by getting you to swipe for us that through that we actually start to align our lives with you know what we say which often what we say is not what we choose which is you know obviously a great reason for not getting what you want yeah and beyond that i think it's important to remember that you can change your mind that mm-hmm. you are always changing and evolving. Like as I I tell people, you need to update your dating profile about every, I don't know, six to eight weeks is my preference. Most people will go two to three years without updating the profile. But at least, at least annually, you need to look back at your profile and say, does this still reflect the person that I am and what I want in a relationship? And so I think of that at, at any point in your life, like you said, the, the privilege of choice, Mark, that is so profound. The privilege to have a choice is, is something that should really be revered and really be utilized to its full potential. And you always can choose if you're in the relationship and you suddenly realize like, this is not what I want. There is nothing that is keeping you locked in a situation. I know you've talked about this on recent shows too. You don't have to stay where you are not happy. You don't have to stay where you are not getting love. And I don't mean to trivialize like situations where, you know, people are dealing with domestic violence or financial challenges, but there's always a way. And especially we've talked a lot about having widening your community when you have a community of people that you can go to and you can rely on that can help you navigate these changes it just makes them so much easier than trying to push through it alone and even though we are separated physically right now we are we can still be connected and we can still communicate with one another and be there for one another in a virtual sense 
gospel, Demona. That was a mouthful, I know. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I for all the people listening, uh, you know, I, I think these are just such important reminders and, the, you know, important to always check in on our biases, no matter whether we're dating or not, but just generally, you know, and consuming the podcast series has been, I'm also part of a, like I'm doing an anti-racism course and learning about the history of that too. And so coupled with doing all the of- work, doing the work. One, it's, it's interesting because in my body- I was saying this to the group the other day that in my body, there is a healthy experience of shame Mm. for the masculine that, you know, I need to touch on on a separate episode to just speak to because uh, you have to be uh, disconnected from your empathy in order to not have empathy for others. So, you know, Mm. of your own. So there was, there's been really a lot of meeting of grief of awareness and just historically what I've, what I've inherited, which is uh, positions of power due to the um, lack of empathy. But man, what an education it's been. It's been really beautiful to learn about all the things. And we all have our stuff. Like, And even as a person of color, I'm doing the work with you, Mark. I am, I'm learning as well. And I'm learning even the privilege that comes with the fact that I grew up in an upper middle class neighborhood versus what my the privilege my mom had or lacked growing up in the projects. And even if you just look at my family tree, it goes in very different ways because I do have a white side of my family and a black side of my family. And the opportunities that were available to the people on the white side of my family are very different. And because I sit at the in the intersection of these two worlds, I have to ha- I have to acknowledge the privilege that has been afforded to me by my whiteness even though most people will look at me and be like she's brown <laughs> she's brown she's black I don't know they people think I'm all sorts of things but she's other is is pretty much always what it is but there is certain privilege that I have benefited from from my whiteness from growing up with money from being able to go to a good, quote, good school, from being able to develop a network in television from a young age. I I got my job at CBS when I was 21 and that became my social circle. So then at each one of those points of privilege, I was able to move myself forward. So I have to take stock of that. I have to have, have awareness and gratitude. And I have to also then figure out how do I pay that forward? How do I, how do I share that? How do I share the spotlight? How do I share the privilege? How do I share finances, opportunity with other people who didn't necessarily have that? Well, you're doing that. You're doing that by being on this podcast, by having your own podcast, by you know sharing all the work that you've done and I know that my uh, podcast listeners uh, will be incredibly grateful for this conversation, not only because of the information shared and the questions and the the invitation to inquiry, but also the humor. I always mm-hmm. appreciate that. We, What are we doing if we're not laughing while we're learning? I fully agree. People would always ask me too when um, Patty Stanger and The Millionaire Matchmaker is really popular. And I was pitching TV shows and people were like, what's your style? Are you like Patty Stanger? Can you be like, (laughs) no, girlfriend, and get in their face and tell them what's wrong? And I was like, that is not my style. I exactly, you 
totally nailed it. I, I think we learn through humor. And when I can get mm. someone to laugh with me at a choice that they made that ultimately is ridiculous considering what they what they want in life and they can laugh at that and then be reflective and then be open to making change. I think I'll get a lot further than yelling at people, telling them to change their hair, to be lovable, telling them to mm. to to transform into something else or cutting them down to make them feel less than if we are really going to be be able to love to our fullest potential, we have to feel that love internally. And so I like to boost people up and do that. Let them be the beacon for higher love for themselves and for others. Well, I think in that experience of uh, being met with, you know, experiencing humor to laugh as we grow. I mean, that's to be met with grace, you know, and grace is one of my favorite words, just favorite thoughts. Yes. As a as a yogi myself, I, <laughs> I have had to embrace grace. Did not mean to rhyme there, but uh, absolutely, absolutely. And and knowing that that we're going to mess it up. Like I just uh, joined a book club and that we were reading. So you want to talk about race? And somebody brought up that one of their big takeaways is that you're going to mess it up. As we talk about these things, we're going to step in it. And look, I've had, I, I have been schooled even about, about gender identity and didn't realize that I was speaking in a way that was a binary to a group that was non-binary. And so I could get mad about it <laughs> and be like, no, I didn't say that. You don't understand me. Or I can stop and be reflective and say, okay, I did that. Obviously, if that was their experience, I need to hear that. I need to be, I need to have humility and grace and then figure out how I can do better the next time. Well, where do people find you to find more of this grace that you offer? More humor, more grace is at the Dates and Mates podcast. And I also have a lot of goodies on my website, datesandmates.com. So I have like a profile starter kit for those that want to refresh their dating profile. Um, I'll be releasing some meditation soon. So we come at it from all angles. <laughs> but I just, I love helping people go through this experience. And I've seen like, like you were saying, how much my life has been impacted by choosing the right partner. And I just really want to share that understanding with other people and help them step into love themselves in, in a deeper way. So thank you for giving me the, op me the opportunity to talk. Oh, about of course. That. 